Scripture reading this morning will be from Romans 12, 17 to 21. If you want to follow from the Red Bible in front of you, it will be page 948. Page 948. Let's read. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but live it to the word of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will replay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heat heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. Number 17. In Acts chapter number 17, we find that there were some followers of Christ who were going about their day-to-day lives, and as they were doing so, they were changing the world. They were changing the world. If you recall, there were some that were upset with Jason and those that were with him, and they brought them to those that were in charge, and they said, these are those that are changing or turning the world upside down. They're turning the world upside down. And as we think about the world in which we live in, and we look at the world around us, and sometimes we ask, what is wrong with people? What is wrong with the world? As Christians, our goal, our aim, our our desire ought to be such that our behavior, our lives do things that help to turn the world upside down. At the end of Romans chapter 12, in verse number 21, as was just read, the scripture reads, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This particular verse comes at the end of a long list of verses, a long section of scripture, that if you look in your Bible, it might be like mine, in which it has a heading added by the editors. The heading says, behave like a Christian. Behave like a Christian, and I wonder if maybe sometimes the world begins to devolve in a way that it does because as it looks at Christians, it doesn't see the behavior in Christians that it should. And it's not attracted to Christ because many of Christ's followers don't act in a way that Romans 12 calls them to act. And I want us to consider this morning the practice of deference. Deference, what we might call a world-changing practice. It's a word that's not necessarily used in Scripture as, as we see it on the screen, but no doubt it can very much so be alleged and taught that deference is found all throughout Scripture, especially in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Before we get to verse 17, let's read for just a moment verses 9 through 16 and see the context in which we are finding ourselves this morning in the idea of behaving like a Christian. Begin at verse number 9. 
Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. Perhaps one of the things that's most uh, unattractive to the world about Christians is sometimes Christians live in a hypocritical way. He goes on to say, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. And in our verse, in our scripture reading this morning, repay no one evil for evil. Notice what he says. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Or as another translation puts it, I like this way, it says, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Think about what is honorable. Consider what is honorable in the sight of all men. If we were to define the term deference this morning from a biblical perspective, some of us are going to go home and watch a football game this afternoon and at the coin toss, they're going to flip the coin and they they might choose to defer to the second half. But we're talking about deference from a biblical perspective and I want us to define it in this way. That is self-limiting my freedom my preferences, my rights, my privileges for the purpose of not offending the preferences of those that God has called me to serve. If we want to overcome evil, Scripture tells us to do it by being people that act in a good, Christ-like way, behaving, overcoming that evil with good. I want us to consider five ways this morning that we can practice this idea of of deference, that is to self-limit my freedom, to choose to limit my freedom, my preferences, my rights and privileges for the purpose of not offending those that God has called me to serve. Consider number one this morning that as Christians that are called to behave like Christ, it is within the purview of our lesson to serve at every opportunity, even though it's not my job, even though it is not my job. Perhaps you've seen some of the the memes that go around on Facebook or the picture of of the uh, road working crew that is off in the distance and instead of uh, moving the stick that happened to be sticking into the side of the road just a little bit, the, the road crew that it was painting the stripes on the line, instead of moving that stick off the road just a little bit, just goes around that stick just a hair and keeps on going with that road striping. Not my job, right? You understand the attitude that some people have? That's, that's not my job. I'm not going to do it. I'm not responsible for that. Before I was, I was directing the, the Peach Valley session that, that we attend, when we first started camp, I wasn't quite confident to be able to direct. I felt like I was still a little too young. But, so we had someone else direct the first couple of years. And, and I remember the very first night of the very first year at camp, we, somebody walked into the mess hall after everyone had already gone to bed and said, we've got a problem, and it's in the girls' restroom. The sewage had backed up into the girls' restroom. And it turns out that we went back behind the cabin and 
The ground had shifted to the point that the sewage pipe had broken. The very first night of the very first year, the director and several other people that were on staff began to dig in the ground that night. And, and we'll just leave it at that. But it wasn't the director's job to be the one digging in the ground, digging in the rest of what was in the ground. But the director said, I'm going to have this attitude that says, even though it's not my job, even though we have rented this facility out, which over the years has gotten a lot better as they've, as they've made improvements and they're still trying to do so, so don't worry about sending your kids in the future. <laughs> even though it wasn't his job, he was there digging in the ground at midnight to serve other people. Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, verse 35, that he sat down among the 12 and he called them to himself and he said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 11, Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. And then in Mark chapter 10, verse number 44, whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. He goes on to say, Jesus says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If there was ever a person in the history of humanity that could have said, not my job, when it came to washing his disciples' feet, it could have been Jesus. If there was ever someone in humanity that could have said, not my job, when it came to dying on the cross, it was Jesus. But Jesus, in Philippians chapter two, verse five, Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus served even though it wasn't his job necessarily. And when we talk about putting into practice this idea of deference, to do things that consider and give thought to what is good in the sight of all men, so as not to offend their taste, to, to think about what's in their perspective and what's on their heart and on their mind, it's good for us to start with the idea of being individuals that serve at every opportunity. But secondly, this morning, consider that to practice the idea of deference, we must also consider surpassing expectations, even though it's not required of me. The first one, we might say, serve, even when it is not your job. The second one, we might say, when it is your job, don't stop at the first mile. Don't stop at the first mile. You recall from Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 41, in which Jesus said that if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. What Jesus is talking about there is in reference to a practice in the first century in which Rome and its soldiers would be making their way through the territory of those that Jesus was speaking to. And there were some soldiers, and it was the law, that they could compel a person that they come across along the road to carry their gear, to carry their belongings for them. But the law restricted that to be only for one mile. 
And so they had along the roadside, in many cases, mile markers that would indicate from maybe one stone to the next where you had to begin and where you could end. But Jesus says, don't just go one mile from that first marker to the, to the marker that indicates that mile, but go two miles. Go with him too, he says. But this isn't just about going the extra mile for your friends or for your family, for people that you love and care about and are concerned about. Listen to the words of Paul in our text. If you're still there in Romans chapter 12, look at verse number 20. Paul says, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Paul doesn't just say, going the extra mile means avoiding doing evil to your enemies. Paul says, going the extra mile means not just avoiding evil, but doing good to those that are your enemies. Feeding them, clothing them, giving them to drink. Going the extra mile. If you're to look at Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verse number 10, in our text, we just read, in honor giving preference to one another, some translations read it this way, outdo one another in showing honor. Some of us like to be competitive. Some of us, they don't want to run. We, we don't want to run. It, it, make, it, it seems silly for us to put on our jogging shoes, Michael Poole, and, and run a long distance. But if you want to play a basketball game, then I will run with you because I want to win the game. I like to be competitive. When we think about what Paul is saying here, outdo one another in showing honor. When was the last time that you competitively tried to show someone more honor than they were showing you already. And I'm not talking about showing your enemy honor because they haven't shown you any, but even those that do show you honor and treat you in a way that is kind and good and honorable, taking it to the next level and showing them honor. Deference, giving thought to what is honorable in the sight of all men, surpass expectations, even though it's not required of me. Okay? So serve at every opportunity, surpass expectations. Number three, maybe even a little bit harder, suffer the wrong, even though I feel someone has cheated me. Suffer the wrong, even when I feel someone has cheated me. I think I've used this uh, illustration or story before from, from when I was in youth ministry. We were in two different vans on a mission trip. And on the way home, we ordered Chick-fil-A on the phone, and we were ready to pick it up, and we got there, and in our van, we had made sure to place our order for our dipping sauces, right? You know, Chick-fil-A sauce, Polynesian sauce, all the good stuff, right? But the other van, they didn't think about that. Well, when it came time to getting our order, guess where all the sauces went? They didn't come to our van, they went to the other van. In our van, everybody was so up in arms and upset and hurt. We're the ones that thought about placing our order for those condiments, but they didn't think about it, so it's rightfully ours. We should have had those. But we didn't get a single one. They ended up with all of those condiments. And I talked to the young people that day about suffering the wrong. Even though you may have been right, even though you did think about ahead of time to place your order for those condiments, is it not Christ-like to think about giving up some of those privileges, surrender, surrendering some of those things that you have at your disposal? 
Everyone turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, just a few pages over from where we are in Romans chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, I want us to see that this is a biblical principle of suffering the wrong. That phrase is used specifically here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, in which Paul is writing to a group of Christians that was upset with one another. Paul says, dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? In other words, he's saying, are you daring to sue one another in the presence of those that are unrighteous? A Christian suing another Christian. He says in verse two, do you not know that the saints will judge the world and if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Verse four, if then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? In other words, why are you having the world judge the things that you're disputing about? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren, but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers? Notice what he says in verse seven. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you to, for you that go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why not rather suffer the wrong? Why not rather let yourselves be cheated? Why not rather let yourselves be cheated? So Paul says it's better for you as a Christian, to be cheated in the situation with your brother than to take him to court over something that you're disputing about in front of non-Christians. Why is that the case? Because we'll talk about here in just a moment what's in view here is that unholy conduct says, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get mine no matter what. And in doing so, we bring reproach upon God and his church. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 12, Peter says to keep our conduct honorable among the Gentiles so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. But you might say, shouldn't I deserve to keep my hard-earned possessions? Why should I suffer evil? Why should I suffer the wrong in this particular case? Hear the words of Jesus. Jesus suggests that even when your property is on the line, Matthew chapter 5, verse 40, he says, If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Suffer the wrong, and even go the extra mile in suffering the wrong. Some people are willing to suffer the wrong or do good to others so that they might get something in return in this life. They say, well, I'll take, I'll take one for the team here maybe, whether that may be for fame or pu- publicity. But listen to these words of Jesus in Luke chapter 14 and verse number 12. He says, then he also said to them who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. He says, instead, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus says, don't just suffer the wrong. Don't just feed these people who cannot and let them take your food from you and and give these things to them without the potential of being repaid. Rather realize that 
it's a blessing to those people suffer the wrong, even though I might feel that someone has cheated me, serve others even when it's not my job, surpass expectations even though it's not required of me. But number four, consider this, surrender privileges even though I feel rights have been taken from me. Right before COVID hit, there was a family in the Austin area that was being sued by a neighbor over a playscape that they built on their property for their terminally ill three-year-old son. The Facebook post of the mother said it this way, whoever heard of being sued over a playscape? Well, friends, it's true. We officially got served this morning with a lawsuit brought by our own next door neighbor. They don't like our playscape. They claim it brings down their property value. They called it an eyesore and have told us multiple times it goes against our HOA. They say, here's the kicker though. They know our son's story. They know that he's terminally ill. They know what our family has been through. They know he had a bone marrow transplant and has this terminal illness, yet they still pursued this lawsuit. They're suing for damages, $100,000 in damages. You know, these neighbors, they had the right in their HOA to say, you're not allowed to build that. It goes against, quote, the architectural design review committee. And yes, I'm not suggesting that we should just hope that our neighbors would, would, would surrender privileges and that, that way we can just break the rules. But, you know, sometimes we just get up on our high horse and you say, you're breaking the rules. I'm not going to consider anything else. I'm not going to look at the letter of the law. I'm not going to think about the fact that your three-year-old son is about to die and might like to enjoy this playscape that they just bought for, for him for a few months left in his life. And you think, well, that's just the world that acts like that. It's sad to say that I think that there's many Christians that act that way as well. In Romans chapter 14, a couple of chapters after our text this morning, Paul says, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. He goes on to say in verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things are indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Did you notice there in verse 21, the concept of being offended? We talked about in our definition of deference to give thought to the tastes of others so as not to offend those that God has called me to serve. In the midst of, our, of this particular conversation in Romans chapter 14, Paul says, pursue what makes for peace. Pursue what makes for peace. And I'm convinced that so many times there are way too many people that are pursuing division because it's just something that they like to pursue. And they get, they get enjoyment and entertainment from it, but Paul says, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pursue what makes for peace. Paul later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13 says, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. Are you a person that surrenders privileges even though you feel that you have rights taken from you? Are you someone that serves even though it's not your job? Are you someone that surpasses expectations? Are you someone that, that goes the extra mile? Are you someone that suffers the wrong? 
Finally this morning, are you someone that is willing to submit to others, even though it may seem backwards to you? Some people want to be their own God. Some people like to live like they really are their own God. But James chapter four, verse number seven says to submit to God. But submission is not the only place, and God is not the only entity, individual in which we are to submit to, but also Ephesians chapter five, verse 21 Paul says that we are to submit out of reverence for Christ, wives to husbands as to the Lord. Children to parents, chapter 6, verse number 1 and 2, in the Lord. Servants to masters as you would to Christ, as to the Lord and not to man, chapter 6, verses 5 through 6. In Colossians chapter 3, verse number 17, Paul says, do all in the name of the Lord that is by his authority or with the Lord's lordship in mind. He says, wives, again, submit to your husbands. He says, children, obey your parents. Servants, obey your masters. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. Submission, even though it may seem backwards to me. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Peter calls and addresses those that are wives of unbelieving husbands. He says to them, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. A few years ago, there was a young man that I, I was privileged to teach the gospel to, but he was the only Christian in his family. And he was struggling with what it meant to continue to submit to his parents and yet be a Christian in a household that was not full of other Christians. I pointed him to this particular text, and though it was not completely analogous, the idea, the sentiment is the same, that as he submitted to his parents, he had the opportunity to influence them through his conduct, through deference, through giving thought to what was honorable in their sight, not sinning, not going against what God says, but thinking about them, serving them, even when it wasn't his job, surpassing expectations, even when it was beyond what he was called to do submitting to them, suffering the wrong, all of these things, opportunities for him to influence even his own parents. Romans chapter 13, verse number one. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. If we want to influence our society, it starts with servanthood. It starts with surpassing expectations, going the extra mile. It starts with suffering the wrong. But also included in this concept of deference is giving thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. And we know what is communicated to the rest of the world when we don't submit to our authorities. I'm not saying going against what the Bible says and the Bible teaches But hear the words of Scripture. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. I wonder if there is a 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 2 principle that could be applied to influencing the government. That even through our conduct, that those that are not believers might be influenced by our conduct and not just our words. As we conclude, I want us to bring to mind... What is the opposite of deference? 
We might suggest that the opposite of deference is rudeness. You know why people are rude? Because they think things like this. Not my job. I'm only going to do the bare minimum. You better not infringe upon my rights. If I want to eat meat, I'm going to eat meat. Rudeness is ultimately rooted in selfishness, whereas deference is rooted in selflessness. Consider Jesus. He served at every opportunity. He surpassed every expectation. He suffered the ultimate wrong. He surrendered impeccable privileges. He submitted perfectly to God. If you want to have the mind of Christ, as we read in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself. What does it take to practice deference? It takes humility. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 5. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Why? Why practice deference? Because God is glorified. Because souls are influenced. Because we, through deference and self-limiting our freedoms, our privileges, our preferences, in order not to offend the taste of those that God has called me to serve, in the same way can let our light shine before others so that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Are you someone this morning that has been struggling with the practice of deference? Maybe you live a life that is rude and selfish. Maybe you all only care about yourself, never giving thought to other people. You know that that sin is just as heinous to God as theft, as murder, as adultery. If there's anything that we can do for you this morning, if you're not a New Testament Christian, despite what some Christians don't behave like, the Christian life, life is the best life to live. And we want you to be a part of this life, to be part of our family. But if you already are a part of this family and you need to make right on some of the sins that have been involved in your life, we ask that you come forward as together we stand and as we sing.